Bring it in a Thursday edition here of the Read Option Loaded Show. I got my man Kevin Haswell, researcher for ESPN up in Bristol. Uh, he does a lot of great stuff, works on Daily Wager. He works on the Sports Center shows. He's been all over the place from 7 a.m. all the way up to the noon. Uh, and now I believe he's working on the 6 o'clock Sports Center as well. We get into a ton of great basketball conversations. We talk a lot of Sixers in this pod. Uh, which I know for many of you out there is probably not the most surprising thing in the world. But hey, you know what? They're an interesting team. And with the Embiid injury and everything else, it was definitely worth getting into. And then after that, Scotty Miller and I break down the field of 68 and the NCAA tournament, which is kicking off. And uh, I'll be honest, I think everyone is just waiting for this first tip off. We get the first four in tonight, Thursday night. And after that, it's tournament time, baby. So uh, I'm going to take a little break here. And when we come back, it's Kevin Haswell from ESPN. All right. I'm now joined the second ever guest here on the read option, a fellow James Madison Duke uh, researcher at ESPN, Kevin Haswell. Kevin, how you doing, my friend? It's nice to see you. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I got a tall task coming after Blake Pace is the first <laughs> guest, but I'm excited. Uh, I haven't done a podcast in a while. I'm excited to, uh, get some uh, opinions out there so let's uh let's get rolling hell yeah man well uh i brought you on mainly because i know you're you're a huge nba head and for me we're in the we're in the prime of the nba season right now a season unlike we've ever seen coming off the bubble and everything last year it's been unique to say the least but you know i've done some solo stuff on the pod about nba and what's not my things i i love having somebody on who i know is equally as big into the sport as I am and into the league, but also someone who's also a Sixers fan. Like I, I have a lot of thoughts about the Sixers. They've had uh, a really great year, you know, um, but they've also with Embiid's injury and whatnot, a little scary. And we'll get into that in a second, but I honestly wanted to start off with you kind of looking back over the last couple of years in, in the NBA. And as soon as Kevin Durant left the Warriors, everything felt like it was open all of a sudden in the NBA. And I think that was one of the contributing factors to some of the ratings going down was just that no one knew who to either love or hate. There was no number one team that was taking it. And even going back to the Miami heat, we had about a decade of knowing who the top team was. It seems like now with James Harden being in Brooklyn and LeBron and AD, whenever they're together on the court, you can never count them out that we kind of, the narrative at least is that, we know who the top teams are and the top contenders, but I don't necessarily feel that way. And so I was curious to start off. Do you feel like this is as open as it's been and as open as it was last year, or do you really feel like now that there's another big three in the league, that that's kind of the team to beat? You know, I, I find it really hard to pick against the next nets this year. I mean, I know everyone's going to talk about how, you know, there, there's not many games under the belt with those three on the floor and, you know, with the Durant injury, they've been playing a lot with just Harden and, and Kyrie. But, um, you know, I, I think the NBA is a lot less open that people, than people believe. Um, you know, it, it all depends on what's going on in L.A. with Anthony Davis. Um, the Lakers definitely need him out there uh, to be able to compete for a title. But, you know, there's teams like the Suns and the Jazz. And, I, you know, I'm a Sixers guy, but the Sixers are probably in that category, too, of, you know, teams overachieving. Um, and come playoff time, I just don't, I don't know what to think of those teams. I mean, 
you look in the past couple of seasons, I mean, the Bucs, uh, best record in the NBA last year and what they do in the bubble, they, they collapsed. Um, so I, I think it's less open um, than we think, uh, but, but who knows come playoff time. I mean, we, we see these players during the regular season, they put in, um, you know, you know, they're putting in effort, but I think there's another level they take it to in the playoffs, especially guys like LeBron. Um, so to answer your question, I, I don't think the NBA is that open this year. I think, I think it's going to be a Nets Lakers final if AD's uh, healthy. And I find it really hard to believe in teams like the jazz, the Suns, the Sixers. I mean, there's some other teams on the list, but I, I, I don't think it's very open. Yeah. In the East, it, it does feel really top heavy, right? You know, I, I think, and at the very top, you're right. Like when, when all three of those guys are going to be on the court together, it's terrifying for the rest of the NBA. And as, as a Sixers fan myself, We've seen a lot of, of, of incredible basketball that the Sixers teams play. Doc Rivers has them really competing at a high level. No other team has an answer for Embiid. You know, even the, the, the one guy you could probably say would be, would be Anthony Davis. But career-wise and, and historically, when you look at the, when the two of them have matched up, Embiid just mops the floor with them. It's, it's really astonishing considering how good defensively Anthony Davis is. It's just that's more of a testament to how great Embiid is. But – with those three guys at the top and the amount of offense they can play that, that they can put up and produce, it does seem like, man, like who is ever going to be able to really slow them down the West though. I, I think the Anthony Davis thing is, is a real question mark and it should be a real concern. Cause I wrote this down. I've been kind of mulling over this for a while. I'm getting very similar vibes to Kevin Durant in 2019, which was we're talking about a tall, long guy who you know physically, when those guys have sore Achilles, you're heading down a dangerous path. And I don't like to speculate and be like, oh, he's definitely going to get hurt. It's, you know, there's so much that we don't know being on the outside of this. But if Anthony Davis isn't in there, I think the, the West could be completely wide open. I mean, I wrote down the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, Utah, Denver, maybe even Portland now getting C.J. McCollum back. If Anthony Davis does not come back, which team do you would you look to to potentially – surpass LeBron or do you think LeBron is just he's so good he's LeBron James that there's there's nothing that other team like he would be enough to bring that Lakers team back to the championship you know I, I'm, I'm I've been watching the Lakers since Anthony Davis went out and I, I don't see a path where they win the, the Western Conference without Anthony Davis I mean they're a much different team LeBron's older I don't think he can carry the load like he did with the Cavaliers taking them to you know beating them beating the Celtics in seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals early in Tatum's tenure. And, you know, to answer your question, I, I, I think the Clippers are the team that, you know, I, I would take out of the West if Anthony Davis kind of never comes back. Um, I know they, you know, they had a rough, uh, rough time in the bubble last year, but, you know, I, it's, it's hard to bet against Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. I mean, you look at, you look at what he did in Toronto, what he did in San Antonio. Um, it, it's really difficult. I, and I think part of me, wanting to lean towards the Clippers is I don't believe in the Suns and the Jazz yet. I think, I think they're really good. I, I like what the Suns have going with their, with their duo with Booker and Paul, but the Jazz, I don't, I don't know. They don't have, when they get into a series with a lot of the top teams in the Western conference, they're not going to have the best player on the floor ever. You know, exactly. you, they play the Lakers, LeBron's going to be the best player on the floor. They play the, um, they play the Clippers, you know, Kawhi, you play the Nuggets, it's Jokic, it's Damian Lillard if you play the Blazers. It's They're never going to have the best player on the floor, and that concerns me. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would have to go with the Clippers in the Western Conference if if this AD situation doesn't clear up soon. It's funny because I've been trying – I just looking at that list today, if you remove Anthony Davis from the Lakers – and, again, that is a big if, right, because for all we know, Anthony Davis, like they're being overly cautious in making sure that he's going to be okay – but every other team has an, uh, an unproven question mark to it, right? Even the, even the, the, the Clippers. Like Paul George, like, do you trust Paul George in the postseason? Not really. Not. Like playoff yeah. P was a long time ago, remember? Like what, what that, those matchup against when he was on the Pacers and they were going up against the Heat. Uh, I, but I look at, you know, Phoenix even. Chris Paul's never been there. Chris Paul's been to one conference finals in his career. Utah, I, I they went to the finals last year, but or the Western Conference finals last year. But Jamal Murray's been really up and down. So I think one of those teams really has to be able to ha- have the player that makes that second half jump, whether it is Jamal Murray or Devin Booker, to the point where they're averaging 27 to 28 a night, because that's the only way that you're really going to be able to overpass LeBron. That being said, the surrounding cast outside of Anthony Davis and the Lakers has been pretty bad. I mean, Dennis Schroeder is, is kind of the one bright spot, but Montrez Harrell has not been what they expected. He's a shell of the sixth man of the year that he was last year with the Clippers. I, I would lean the Clippers as well, because I think if, if you're going to take one proven commodity out of that group, it is Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi Leonard can do so much as a, uh, as a distributor in addition to scoring the basketball himself, which is, I think, the most underrated aspect of his game. But he's also not the defender that he was. And I have questions about that team and, and the people around PG and Kawhi Leonard uh, in the East. It's interesting because I think the Sixers are a legitimate. Like, I think they have a legitimate chance to beat the Nets. I think defensively, the Nets are so porous. They, they are unable to stop teams like the Wizards. Right. And, and yeah, Westbrook can still put up decent numbers. Bradley Beal's leading the league in scoring and, and you can. I think we all can understand that. But you add a Joel Embiid, a healthy Joel Embiid, who basically eliminate doesn't eliminate, but does a really good job of protecting the rim. He controls the paint. But that's also not the concern defensively when you're playing the Nets. It's how do we defend the, the perimeter? You got Ben Simmons and Matisse Thybul as two of the best pure on-ball defenders in the NBA. So I think they would be able to do enough. Plus Embiid would average 40 and 20 in that series. Okay, but how much? How many? How much does Joel Embiid have to do in that series for the Sixers to win? I mean, a lot. You, I you 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 match you start to match up the lineups here, and you you get Ben Simmons. You probably put him on Durant, put him on Harden, maybe, and then Matisse. You might put on Kyrie. At some point, you run out of good defenders. They yeah. they just have so many good offensive players. Um, and I you know I I think Embiid can expose the Nets in a seven game series. He can you know put up forty and twenty, but. Is that going to be enough? I don't. I don't know. The net. The Nets are, you know, one of the best offensive teams I've seen over the last ten years. I mean, they're up there with the Warriors with Durant. Uh, the first year Durant went over to Golden State. I mean, I I, I love the Sixers. They're my team. Um, but come playoff time, it's going to be really really hard to to see them beat the Nets. I mean, I, the one thing is the Sixers are probably deeper. I, I think that gives them an advantage in a, in a seven game series, but. I don't know. I I don't know. It, it, it's 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 a big question, and I think we're going to eventually see it turn out. It looks like the Embiid injury is is obviously it's positive. It's it's not as bad as it looked. I don't know if you if you were watching that yeah. game live. I saw his yeah. knee buckle live, and 
I got flashes of Carson Wentz, you know, in, in 2017 all mm-hmm. over again, man. It was it was brutal to see. But the fact that he walked off the court under his own power and again, the Sixers are going to be overly cautious to make sure that he is at full strength. And the fact that it was just a bone bruise, you know, it wasn't a, a strained tendon. It wasn't, you know, something else that might uh, something like the Achilles thing with Anthony Davis, where when they said a, a sore Achilles, it makes you go, man, that, that does not sound good, man. That's that is yeah. concerning. The one thing I would say for the Sixers, in addition to the depth, because that is, I think, unquestionable at this point, that how much because Blake Griffin's not not moving the needle for the for the yeah. Nets. He might, know? he might he might not even play over guys like Bruce Brown and, and others. I would I mean, ten times rather have Bruce yeah. Brown and or or Jeff Green even, which is a, a something I never thought I would say just a few years back. But the fact that in in the NBA, particularly in the postseason, the game slows down so much, it becomes much more of a half court game, and I think the Sixers are built for that. The example last night, even Tobias Harris drops 30 against uh, in what felt more like a playoff game, right? It, it wasn't this track meet of a game. Neither team scored over 100 points, which I can't even remember the last time you know you've seen something like that in the NBA. Yeah. But his you know his mid range game, being able to find spots on the court, I think that's something that he's an interesting element. And I think Tobias Harris, obviously, he's getting paid like a top you know tier player. We haven't quite seen that, but this year we've seen the the most we've gotten the most out of Tobias Harris that we've ever gotten in, in Philly. And, and I think that's really exciting. Uh, I do want to have I, I, I want to have the Ben Simmons conversation because I am like the cat, the captain of the Ben Simmons uh, fan club. I, I will sing his praises for for out and, and forever because I just I think so highly of him and he to me is one of the true unicorns in the NBA. No, I mean, I think he is the defensive player of the year. And I think giving it to Gobert again or, or anyone else would be a crime. You don't see guys who can guard one through five, who can slow down LeBron James and then three nights later man up Dame Lillard and, and do an efficient and effective job against that. He's long, he's athletic. His ability to see the floor, his ability, he, he's such an, it's crazy that his passing skills have now become underrated. And everything about him gets overshadowed because he just doesn't shoot threes. Yeah. And, and I understand it. Right. And, and I understand the, where the NBA is now it's, it's, you need to be able to shoot, but he also creates more three pointers for other guys than anyone else in the NBA. And he does it to four guys that are all shooting 40% from three and Danny green, Seth Curry, Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. So where do you stand on Ben Simmons right now? Is, is, are you someone who says like he's never he may not reach his full potential without a three, but I still think he's a, a top fifteen guy in the league minimum. The way he plays the game right now, yeah, you know I, I'm all over the Ben Simmons Ben Simmons tra- uh, train as well. You know I've defended him for years, um, and, it, and you know it's it's kind of finally coming to fruition here. I mean he he was first team All Defense last year. Um, I think he's defensive player of the year this year. If you really go by, you know, best defender, I know it's easy to give it to Gobert, but when Gobert goes up against really good big men, he doesn't look very good. Mm-hmm. He's really good against mediocre big men, but when it comes to playing guys, I mean, we saw Sixers played uh, the Jazz a few weeks ago, about a month ago, and Embiid, you know, went off on on Gobert. I mean, yeah. Sim. In that game, Donovan Mitchell is trying to prove a point that Ben Simmons wasn't a great defender. Shot the ball like 35 times. Mm-hmm. Um, shot, I think he only made 10 of those. So I, I love Ben Simmons. I think um, it, it's good to to have Joel Embiid out for a little bit. Gives Ben the team 
gives him a little more confidence to run the offense. I think the issue with Ben Simmons come playoff time is he's really good in transition, but in the half court, he can kind of disappear for minutes at a time. Um, you can't really put him in the corner, can't shoot. So at that point, he needs to handle the ball, but it's just tough. I mean, he's really good. Don't get me wrong. And he, he's a really good defender. He can pass the ball really well. He can finish at the basket, like as good as LeBron did early in his career. But come playoff time, and we saw it the last few years, you can't put him in the corner. He's you, When you have Matisse Thibault and and Ben Simmons out there, you can't hide both of them. So yeah. in the half-court game, it's going to be really difficult come playoff time. Um, and I hope they figure that out. But I think it's good. I think it's good that Embiid's out for a little bit because it, it'll give Ben the uh, confidence to run the offense. And, um, you know, I, I also just wanted to say, you know, we talked about the Sixers in the net series. I think another overlooked benefit is we're going to have Doc Rivers as the coach. Um, yeah. You know, Brett Brown is really, I mean, I give him credit for, you know, making the playoffs all those years and, you know, bringing the team to a certain point. But every year in the playoffs, it seems like he couldn't figure out those rotations. And I think Doc Rivers is going to make a big difference. I mean, we've already seen it with Joel Embiid. So um, not to get off the Simmons point, but no. I think playoff time, I think it's, you know, I think it's huge that they basically get Doc Rivers instead of Brett Brown. I, I absolutely no, And, and that's, ex- it's funny you said it because that's exactly where I was going to go with this is that, that is such a defining uh, factor when it comes to the version of Ben Simmons that we have seen this year. And I, I also think about this too, right? When in, in most championship teams, right? If you look at this, even the Lakers, if they put out a, a lineup with Montrez Harrell, like Montrez Harrell's not shooting threes, you're always going to have at least one guy on the court who doesn't have to shoot threes. And the problem for a long time was, well, Embiid shoots 33% from three, right? He, you know, he, he's not – we all, everyone hated, and and for a lot of things, I still hate when Embiid takes any more than three threes in a game. But you can have one guy in the dunker spot on on the bat on the baseline. He's because especially because Simmons, he's so athletic and he's so big, he can basically just live in that dunker spot, crash the offensive glass, and you can let Embiid do things with his this newfound face up game where he can be at that you know fifteen feet from the basket, face you up, either get to the line. Uh, and, and I mean, that's part of the thing with Simmons, too, is and why I think the Doc Brown or <laughs> Doc Brown, the Doc Rivers point is so important because I, I like Brett Brown a lot. I think he was uh, crucial for creating a, a culture for for doing a lot of things and leading that team through what was one of the most fascinating experiments, honestly, in, in sports history, which was the, the process. Right. This is how we got to this point now. And then, all right, we have these two pieces who don't look like they should fit each other. Well, the numbers tell you that their offensive efficiency with both of them on the court this year has been really good. And when you do transition to a a half court style of play in the postseason, because, you know, it it really does feel like two different sports sometimes, regular season NBA versus postseason. Simmons has gotten really good at knowing when to pick and choose his spots to push the ball in transition, be aggressive off of defensive rebounds, kicking it out to other guys. Cause he has that court vision. He has the athleticism to be able to do that. It, it's the, what happens in the half court and how to use them. And I think just Brett Brown was not the best X's and O's coach. And I think that's something with doc rivers experience, obviously winning a title in Boston that you, you look at, if you're a Sixers fan and you feel hopeful, you feel like, all right, this is a guy who 
might be able to have figured out how these two exist because already the Sixers kind of play a, a slower paced version. They shoot, they're in the bottom five right now in threes per game and attempts. And that will help them in the postseason. Whereas a team like Brooklyn, who constantly wants to run shoot threes more of the Houston style, though we're not seeing Houston James Harden in Brooklyn, uh, I think it's going to hurt them more or at least slow them down enough just because the style of game is going to change. And then you're right, though. I mean, you can't have Simmons and Matisse out there for 30 minutes in a game unless Matisse starts shooting closer to that 37% mark from three. No, I mean, I, no doubt. I, uh, I also think we need to talk about Tobias Harris. I mean, he's really turned a corner this year um, under Doc Rivers. I know uh, before this year, Tobias had his career year with the Clippers when Doc Rivers was there. Um, and it's really good to see, you know, after he got the huge contract, um, the, you know, the Sixers really felt with all the assets they gave up to acquire him that they, they had to resign him. Um, it's really good to see him play, a, you know, frankly, an all-star level. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be huge in the postseason as well, um, especially in a net series. Um, it's another 6'8 guy that can get you 20 a game. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard to, you know, no matter who you're playing, if, if Simmons can get you 20 a game and, you know, you got Embiid and Tobias, it's, no matter who the players are, it's hard to stop three guys who can score 20 a game. I mean, and I it, think it'll be difficult. Tobias is an underrated defender. You know, you wouldn't feel good putting him on Kevin Durant, but he is 6'8". He does have, you know, he, he's a very, it's a very underrated aspect of his game. And so if you say, all right, you know what? We really have to put Simmons on James Harden. And Matisse then goes on Kyrie, right? Which I think would actually be, Kyrie is so good at getting to the rim. Like, He's yeah. the best that I've ever seen at it. And I think he's even better than AI. And, and that's saying a lot. It's just the creative ways that he can find to get to the rim and yet still finish. It, it, every night you watch a, a Nets game, it kind of blows your mind where you just go like, how the hell did Kyrie do that? Like we almost forgot with all the craziness that, that comes with Kyrie, just how freaking good the guy is. Yeah. But Matisse is such an unusual defender, right? Matisse reads – things and sees things defensively that I think is equally equally as uh, wonky. I know it's kind of a weird word, but like he doesn't play conventional defense and yet he gets five steals in the first half last week. Again, I forget who they're playing, but you know, he does stuff like that consistently that I think he can be a really great defensive matchup. Danny green is still a good defender. He's not the Danny green that was on San Antonio. Right. But he's a guy with, he's long. He's yeah. He's lost it, but he's still long. Uh, and he, for a two guard, or which is more or less what he plays defensively for the Sixers, you know, he can do a lot of things for you. And again, the versatility with Simmons, while still being able to have your rim protector and Embiid, like, like what what is DeAndre Jordan going to do against Embiid? You know, yeah. what, who who is are you going to play a small ball lineup and then just try to spread spread the floor? I mean, how many times have we seen guys seemingly get past Embiid only for him to just swat the ball over top of him and that close down speed he has? defensively is a really underrated aspect of his game yeah I think that that's going to be interesting the strategies the two teams take going into that series I mean the Nets really wanted to go small ball I mean you put Bruce Brown at five it's they're already hard to guard you put a you put a fifth you know six six guy out there it's going to be really hard for the Sixers to defend five guys that can all score that you know are right around six foot six a little quicker than Embiid but on the other end, Embiid would get about, you know, 40 points and 25 rebounds. Yeah. So um, there's a give and take there. And I, I'm going to be intrigued once that series comes around. If, you know, if we get it, I think it's really important for the Sixers to get the one seed because you fall to two and you got to play the Bucks 
um, before you even get to the Western Conference final or the Eastern Conference finals. So, yeah. you know, it's really important right now if they stay at one, um, they would get the Knicks in the first round, which, you know, I think they could beat them in five or six. And then you get the Heat or the Hornets, which, you know, I don't overlook the Heat, but the Hornets don't really have a lot of playoff experience there. Um, so it, it's crucial. And I think it's going to be, I think that's another storyline down the stretch that's going to be interesting is that race for the number one seed. Cause right now the Nets are a game back, but, you know, the Sixers without Embiid, they got to keep winning games um, and they're going to lose that top spot. Yeah. I, and, and the unfortunate thing with Embiid's injuries, I, I think it will mean that they probably don't hold on to the one seed. I mean, they play Milwaukee tonight. I don't have very high hopes. I mean, look, Simmons is, is fantastic. And Simmons, one of the interesting things about the Sixers too, I know we're doing a lot of Sixers talk, but I'm totally okay with it. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that's really interesting with, with, this Sixers team is that they match up really, really well against the other top teams. A team like Miami scares me almost a little bit more matchup wise than the team like Milwaukee, right? Because if you're, if you're putting Tyler hero, Duncan Robinson, bam out of bio, who is someone who actually think can hang with Embiid in a lot of ways, because he's so versatile and then a scorned Jimmy Butler trying to go off against his old team that, and then a proven coach in Spolsters too. Like that to me is, is really scary. Uh, and, and, you know, look, like Trevor Ariza, they just traded for today. That doesn't move the needle, right? And, and I, I don't know what we're going to see at the trade deadline. I think teams are very, from everything I've, I've heard from people much more locked into the league than obviously I am, it does seem like teams are a little wary to, to make big trades, especially with the play-in tournament. I think it adds a, a whole other uh, wrinkle. But the other thing that the Sixers will be sacrificing for, I don't want to say sacrificing, but the more than likely we'll lose here with Embiid's injury is the fact that I don't think Embiid can win the MVP if he's out for more than, than two weeks and he's being reevaluated in two weeks. And I don't think we see him back for at least a month. So with that being said, the MVP race is wide open and, and normally you would say, all right, well, it should go to LeBron, but that Lakers team has had some bad losses without Anthony Davis and LeBron can only do so much. So I think LeBron's the odds on MVP, but if, if you're looking at a, even from a gambling perspective, who, who are the names to look out for in your mind for the MVP with Embiid, who I think to this point was the clear-cut favorite? So I think it's really easy to say that LeBron would be the front-runner here, but the way the Lakers have been playing as of late without AD, I think it hurts his case a lot. I think it's very similar to the Embiid. I mean, you look at the odds right now, um, more of a consensus look, but LeBron's at plus 170, Jokic right behind him at plus 200, and then Embiid's dropped all the way to plus 650. Hmm. I think – I think the real value pick, I mean, it's not huge value now because of the Embiid injury, but I think Jokic is in the front seat to win that award right now. Um, I mean, he's shooting – we talked about Joel Embiid really turning the corner from three. Jokic is shooting 41% from three. He's, Crazy, he's shooting nearly 60% on two-pointers, um, effective field goal percentage over 60%. And he's averaging 27, 27 points, 11 rebounds, and eight and a half assists on top of a steal and a half a game. I mean – He's really I, – I hate to say this because I love Embiid. I think Jokic is the best offensive center in the game. Mm -hmm. Embiid, what Embiid brings defensively makes him a better center. But if there's a year for, for Jokic to win the MVP, it's it's this year. Um, I mean, you look at those numbers, those are historic. It's not, not very often you see a guy – I mean, 56% from the field. He has a chance to – 60-40-90. Like, that's, that, yeah, that's so it, nuts. It, that's, that's unheard of. So – especially from a, from a guy that's, you know, six foot 11, 285 pounds. Like you don't see a guy shoot. And still averaging eight assists on top of all that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, it's incredible. I think he's, I think, you know, I, I don't make odds. I, I don't work in Vegas, <laughs> but if I did, I, I would definitely have Jokic as the favorite. I, I agree. And I think so much, and we've already seen, you know, the Nuggets had a rough start. I think we saw from all four teams, honestly, but even with the exception of the Lakers who started off hot until Anthony Davis got hurt, all four teams that played in the conference finals for in the bubble really struggled out of the gates. And I think the bubble took a lot out of these guys. Um, but the Nuggets are one of those teams and they had an exhaust. They had what two, seven game series before the Western conference finals. They came back from the three, one deficit and Jamal Murray just, you know, he's a grinder. Like that's his reputation. He's a guy who doesn't take days off. And I think it's just taken him a little bit to kind of get back into the rhythm. He's played really, really well the, the, the week or two before the all-star break. And then even out of the all-star break and they're all the way back up to fifth, in the West and we've seen Utah slide down that lead from in first place is only down to two and a half games. Now, if Utah can jump up to say third in the West and he, you know, I think Jokic needs Jamal Murray to, to play better. And I, I really think they're one move away. I think it was Bill Simmons pod who said uh, they should go after Kyle Lowry. And I was like, that would be perfect. That way that, because it takes some of the ball handling and, and, offensive responsibilities away from Jokic without also taking too much of it away, right? You're not, you're not bringing in a Chris Paul, someone who need who's wants to dictate the floor. Cause that's the thing about Jokic. That's just so incredible. It's like, how does this guy pass the ball the way that he does? And then now also shoot almost 60% from the floor while also shooting 40% from three. Like it's just, there's statistics that we've never seen before. The one fear I have is that the MVP is so often a narrative driven award. Right. It's it's so much like there are years statistically where you would say like, oh, well, this person's the clear cut favorite. But for whatever reason, the storyline doesn't match up with it and, and we don't see it. The only time we've seen a team that's, you know, been outside of the top three that really have an MVP was the Russell Westbrook year. And, and that's because he was averaging a triple double. And I think we've learned since then that there were a lot of empty calories in those triple doubles. But at yeah. the same time, you know we had never seen it. And the last guy to do that, the only other guy to do it was Oscar Robertson. So it, it will be a fascinating, you know, storyline to keep as, as the season progresses from a value standpoint, that is, uh, I would agree. I think at what would you say it was plus 600 plus 650 plus 650 for Jokic for MVP. Oh, for I, Jokic, right, Jokic right now it's plus 200. It's moved oh, all it's way. moved all over, but Embiid had dropped yeah. down. Yeah. I don't see Embiid getting back into it. Uh, are there any dark horses outside of LeBron and Jokic in that conversation that you like? Maybe James um, Harden. I mean, I, I, I think James Harden might be for what he's doing in Brooklyn might be one of the most deserving people for the awards this year. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think those early games, let's see, he played eight games with the, with the Rockets. Um, I think those eight games just kind of take him out of the race. Uh, I mean, since he's joined the, since he's joined the Nets, I mean, 25 points, 11 assists, nine rebounds. He's shooting 57% on two-pointers, 39% from three. He's been so efficient. He's run that offense without Durant. Um, you know, without without Houston, without that Houston part of his season, he's definitely deserving. Um, I think Giannis is interesting. Problem is they're not going to give a guy a award three straight years. I know that's yeah. been the narrative. Um, and I think a lot of things would have to happen for him to – really jump up these leaderboards. And, you know, the other interesting name is Luca. I mean, the Mavericks um, not, not having the best year, but if they can make, uh, you know, make a run the second half and move up um, the standings, then, you know, maybe Luca can make a run. And it's just hard for me to, you know, look at Jokic's stats and not think that he's going to win the award. Um, You know, with the, Embiid's definitely the most deserving if he was healthy, but 
man, I, I, to answer your question, I mean, dark horses, Luca, Giannis, James Harden, I mean, yeah. maybe Steph Curry, but it's hard. I mean, it's hard to really win that award when your team's not, you know, top three in yeah. standings. And, and maybe, and, you know, and maybe Embiid is a dark horse now, you know, as weird as that is to say, because you, yeah. you'll get good odds on betting on him, right? Plus 650 is great. And he was the first place guy. And if he comes back and drops 40 a game and the Sixers charge and somehow hold on to the number one, you know, seed in, in the East, I, I think you absolutely have to, you know, consider that. But it's, I just don't think it's very likely. But that's why they call it a dark horse, right? It's not. And, and if you're going, if you're going way down the list, I think we we have to talk about if if the Suns end up with the number one seed in the Western Conference, mm. is there a player deserving on that team? I mean, right now the highest odds is Devin Booker at a hundred to one, but you know, at, at some point if that team finishes first in the Western Conference with how competitive the West has been this year, yeah, I think you have to take a look at some of the players on that team. Um, I know it's a very much a standings driven award sometimes, so you know Devin Booker, Chris Paul, I think I think they get a look. I don't, you know, I. Obviously, don't think it's going to happen, but yeah, I mean, maybe know. Dame too. You know, if Portland makes a run that with CJ McCollum coming back, they finish with like the two seed or something like that. And and you know, Dame and and you can see the story there, right? Like Dame Lillard always overlooked, always underappreciated. Even this MVP season that he had been having, he just wasn't being talked about. And then these injuries kind of opened up the light for for you know Damian Lillard to to take home the hardware I again long shots but I I do think that there's there might be some value there it's worth checking out um let's stick with the betting thing here and then I got one more thing for and I'll let you go uh NBA futures for the postseason where is your head at as far as like I, I mean obviously the Nets are are the Nets the betting favor right now as in terms of odds I'm actually pulling up the odds right now um they are. They are most definitely the, the favorite in the West or the East. And, it, and it's very interesting to look at those numbers because I looked at them a couple of days ago and the Sixers are, are very disrespected in Vegas. Um, mm. I think they have the third or fourth best odds. Give me a second. I'm really? pulling them up. Um, the Bucks. All right. So here we go. So the Nets are now the favorite to win the title. But if you look at just the Eastern Conference, uh, you got the Nets at even money. Bucks are plus 400 and Sixers are plus 550. I That's think interesting, but I think the value pick, I mean, we saw them in the bubble. It's taking them a little bit to come around the, the heat are 11 to one to win the Eastern conference. I think it's, you know, I think that's very good value. Um, like, like we talked about earlier, you didn't really like their matchup with the Sixers. Um, we know how much of a dog Jimmy Butler is. Yeah. In playoff time. I mean, 11 to one is really good value. I also think the Celtics could turn a corner. Hmm. Um, who knows with, with where they're at right now, they don't really have a big man that can stick with Embiid, but who knows? Um, but yeah, I, the Vegas knows, I mean, the, the nets are even money to win the Eastern conference. What about in the West? Cause I think, you know, the, the West being a lot more wide open, uh, you know, you may be, the odds may be a little more closer together. You may not be getting this, the same amount of value that you would normally be, be getting, but I am, I'm curious in the West, is there a team in that kind of middle pack, whether it is a Phoenix, whether it is a Utah, you know, cause I think Utah is probably similarly disrespected when it comes to Vegas in a lot of this regard too, because, and, and you were dead on when you, when you said it, like any playoff series that they're in, they're not going to have the best player on the court, yeah. you know, and, and you mean, could probably even say that if they play, you know, if they were the, the two seed and they play the Warriors at the seven seed and, and it's like Steph Curry's still going to be the best player. Like it could be literally every single round. Um, is there a team in that middle middle of the pack hunt in the West that you think uh, is worth maybe sprinkling a little bit of money on for a future? 
So a narrative I've heard over the last few weeks is the Atlantic division odds. Really interesting, the Western Conference, because you have the Suns. They're actually plus 300 behind the Lakers and the Clippers to win that division. Um, that number was much higher a couple of weeks ago, but they're tied with the Lakers for the lead in that division. Yeah. Um, and with the Anthony Davis injury, uh, who knows what the Clippers are going to be like the rest of the regular season. I think that's really good value to win the division. But then I also think the Suns are a really good value to win the West. Um, they're 12 to one, very, uh, very close ballpark to the heat um, in that respect. And, um, you know, I, if you're going to go super long shots, um, I like the Warriors. Warriors are 60 to one to win the West. Um, who knows with Steph Curry in the playoffs in a seven game series, he puts up 40 a game. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but right now, I mean, the Lakers are the still the favorite without AD at plus 150, uh, followed by the Clippers at plus 280. So a lot of a lot of belief still in L.A. Um, I don't I, I don't know. I, I think if you difficult. had to say L.A., the L.A. teams or the or the field, you know, you, you would still pick the two L.A. teams to see who would be coming out there. But I think it just goes to show you how tightly packed it is. And I think it's funny because there's uh, there's a lot more superstars in the East, but the West as, as a conference is, is I think, a lot. Uh, a lot deeper. Uh, before I let you go here, Kevin, I, I you know, you, you're a researcher up in Bristol at ESPN, right? And we, we just passed the one year anniversary of the Gobert game um, when the world kind of changed and COVID changed forever. And, and, you know, I, I, working in radio, I understand a lot of the, um, a lot of the changes that we had to do, right? Everyone was adapting. It was constant flexibility. It was just doing your part to try to make it happen. And, and radio is easy, right? We basically recorded one hour podcasts and just put them in our time slots to play live. Yeah, You can't really do that with TV, or at least you can only pre-record and only do so much. So yeah. walk, take a little bit, walk us through what it was like for you working in, you know, working on sports center, working on daily wager, working on these shows that for, for the most part kept going and, and were crucial to providing news for people, especially like that first night, but even just throughout the NBA bubble and everything else in this past year. So I think ESPN did a terrific job with their pivot um, right after the pandemic um, blew up, like you said, after the Gobert game and after sports shut down, um, still found a way um, to, to put stuff on the air, you know, with, with ESPN having four channels that go 24 seven, you got to have content yeah. uh, around the clock. Um, you know, I remember earlier on, it's, you know, a lot of people are now the pandemic's um getting closer and closer to ending. A lot of people are reminiscing on the early days. And I remember ESPN putting on a lot of, uh, a lot of classic games, um, like the, the old ESPN classic channel, basically yeah. they turned ESPN into that playing a lot of old games. Um, I think that was really intriguing, but you know, the workflow they've adapted really well. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the shows can be done over zoom. Now um, you can see on TV, a lot of, uh, a lot of the shows, they'll have guests that aren't in studio anymore. They're over a zoom call. Um, and you know, I think ESPN's made a pivot, uh, moving forward. I think they're, you know, going to continue to do stuff like this. Um, you know, who knows I'm not, you know, high up at ESPN, but I, I think they found a way to, to work, um, you know, in different places. And it's interesting. I know you, you said that, uh, you know, Sirius XM and the ESPN U station have, you know, really done a good job at pivoting during all of this. Um, and I, I just want to say ESPN has done a great job too. Um, and it's also been interesting because during the pandemic, Daily Wager opened up a brand new studio in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, they obviously weren't planning on the pandemic, but, um, you know, come August, it was pretty cool. They uh, started shooting the show out of Vegas studio. So um, a lot of moving pieces, but 
overall ESPN has done a terrific job. Um, I've, you know, really enjoyed it. And to be honest, outside of working at ESPN, I'm just happy sports are back. I mean, we, we, uh, for three or four months there had nothing. And, uh, I, I love that March madness is right around the corner, but we, we also have fans in stadiums right around the corner and that's, that's going to be really exciting as well. I think that, um, it's going to add a whole new layer to sports that, you know, I, I can't remember last time I saw a, um, a, a sporting event with a full crowd. You know, you see the UFC come um, April. It's going to have a full crowd in Florida. Yeah. So that's going to be uh, really cool. The Texas Rangers are trying to uh, get full crowds at the Rangers games with the Texas governor lifting the restrictions. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm excited for sports to get back to normal, but I think ESPN along with, you know, Fox sports and, you know, other networks out there have done a great job to um, continue to put out content, even, even with, you know, no sports on the air for, for three or four months there. Yeah. And, and, you know, the last dance was huge, right? I mean, having, having that in the back pocket, I think really helped. Uh, I will say, man, around the horn was way ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah. They they were on this, uh, it seems like what, 20 years ago when that show yeah. first started. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of a direction where a lot of people ended up pivoting and, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's amazing to have seen, and, and we talked about this on our show on uh, on Monday, just how much like our, our culture is rooted in sports, right? And it wasn't until Rudy Gobert tested positive that it really hit home in our in, in this country and, and things really started to change. But uh, you're right, man. And, and God, which was the and obviously with the unfortunate passing of Kobe. I think they replayed his his final game, that 60-point game against the Jazz. I think I watched that like six times on ESPN just because it was it was a game everyone watched and everyone wanted to see more stuff about Kobe. And and uh, obviously we were just trying to find ways to to fill the air. And it was it's been a year, man. It's it's been a year. And um, there are definitely gonna be things for a long like long term that it's just like we realize like what we're doing right now, like we're literally on a Zoom call microphones plugged in you switch over the microphone on zoom boom there you go like you have a show um and and it's really provided you know for me and the two other guys i do the pod with here um we're all in different areas right i got one guy up in philly one guy's in virginia similar to me but about an hour away and yet we were able to start a pod you know start this podcast and do stuff here for the last few months it's been it's been really great but uh look man i really appreciate the time uh please come back on again uh, love i need i need more sixers fans that i can talk ball with and and man you you're literally a researcher so no one knows the statistics and the ins and out of that better than yeah. you so i uh, appreciate it my friend and i uh, look forward to having you back on again soon yeah appreciate it uh definitely will come on come playoff time all right we're back and joined with my boy scotty miller coming on just you and me right now we're, we're the guys locked in here to college basketball very excited to to break down the bracket. We're going to run through the first round of a little bit, give our lead eight, final four, national championship picks. And then we're actually going to give out some of our favorite bets here for the first round of the tournament. Scotty, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. It's tourney time, baby. Can you feel it? Tonight, In your bones? Man. It's tonight. Oh. We got our first four tonight. Um, ooh, I'm getting hot and bothered. How about, how about the first four game? Uh, first of all, there's no Duke, no Kentucky. Uh, Kansas came on at the end of the year and made the tournament granted they're a three seed, but there was a while there where it didn't look like they were going to get in. Um, and Michigan state and UCLA, two other blue buds are playing in a play-in game in the first four. It's it, wild. It's a really weird. It's a, I mean, this whole year is extremely weird, right? Like everything about this tournament, the fact that it's all in one city, the fact that there's not, I mean, there's going to be limited fans in, in Indianapolis, which, you know, I kind of have some reservations about, they already sent home six, 
officials who are like half of which are final four caliber officials, like guys who have, you know, refed and officiated games in the last, in the final four. So it's a weird year, man. This, this whole thing feels odd, but one of these senses of normalcy that we've gotten with this is our brackets, like being able to sit down and fill out a bracket, whether it's, I don't know about you. I'm a very much like I'm an old school. Like I like printing out my bracket. I'm actually, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't even have a printer at my house and normally I would do it at work. So I have to like go to FedEx today to print out a couple brackets so I can do it. And I'm totally the highlighter guy. I'm 60 years old at heart. I think anyone who listens to this podcast will know. I like, I like listening to golf. I like sipping on some brown water, some bourbon. I'm, I'm literally like old fashioned as, as it gets, despite being, you know, 25 years old. But uh, let's dive into this. We're going to go region by region. We're going to start off with the West, work your way down. If you do it on the app, it's the direction that you would just kind of keep scrolling down. Uh, but this is Gonzaga's bracket. All right. And the, the number one thing I think that people should recognize here is that, and it's been talked about a lot, is that Gonzaga got lucky as hell. This bracket, yeah. this this whole region, is so you can't say it's easy because anything in the tournament is not easy. But it's never it really, easy. There is a very clear pathway for yeah. Gonzaga to make it to the final four. Yeah, that's what I said when I first saw the the, the bracket. Well, Greg Gumball on. I love that. First of all, that's one of my favorite tournament traditions is the Selection Sunday special oh, with yeah. Greg Gumbel. Moorhead State out of the Ohio Valley Conference. Like, that's – I love that. There are um, very few things as rewarding as seeing – as a sports fan, as seeing, like, the small colleges who get in and seeing where they get placed and the reaction when they get – like, they know they're in. They won their tournament. But just that reveal on Selection Sunday is such a magical thing. We haven't seen it in a couple of years, too. Yeah, yeah. It was so – it was fun to see that again this year. Uh, but when this came out on the Selection show – um, this this side of the bracket, I thought Gonzaga had the easiest path uh, of of all four of the regions. Um, and frankly, you could put them in any one of many scenarios in this bracket. And Gonzaga, to me, is uh, obviously they've been number one all year. They've gone wire to wire, but I mean that's that's the talk of the town, man. Gonzaga is where it's at. Mark Few has has been there for almost thirty, if not more, years. Um, that's still looks great it, too. Like still looks young and, and yeah. like, and also just yeah. like one of the, one of the true good guys in college basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm no stranger to watching Gonzaga. I loved watching them grow up. <laughs> My father went to university of San Francisco. So I used to go to a lot of uh, Gonzaga games. I remember Ronnie Turioff was one of my favorite Gonzaga players back in the day. Really um, throwing it back. Jeez. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, that was Adam, long before like Adam, Adam Morrison. I was gonna them. say Adam Morrison yeah. was my guy, man. Yeah, seeing, that, seeing him collapse on the floor and cry after they lost in the tournament that one year was like a scarring sports moment for me. And because I, <laughs> I love Gonzaga, I thought they were sick, but like I'm all the way out on the East Coast. I grew up in in Philly, and yet I have this weird attachment to Gonzaga. But it's it's important to note that this is not your father's Gonzaga. Right. This is not, oh, this no. is, this is a totally different, they have multiple pros. Uh, they have a guy who's uh, their point guard, whose name is escaping me right now. Um, he's going to be a top three draft pick this year, more than likely a, a true like floor general and guard plays, but wins championships in the tournament. Having oh, somebody yeah. who you trust to run your offense in the tournament is huge. Gonzaga has a, uh, a very, can't say it's a very easy path, obviously, but like, 
they have a good chance this year, as good as they've really ever had to legitimately, you know, cut down the nets at the end of this whole thing. So I think there's no, there's no chance, uh, you know, whether it's app state or Norfolk state, like we're not, we're not seeing UMBC and UVA here with Gonzaga or, or any of these one <laughs> seeds, you know, yep. as banged up as Michigan <laughs> is, we're not seeing that. So we can write off Gonzaga first round. Yeah. No Gonzaga, Gonzaga nine and three is number one seed, by the way, Ooh. overall. That is a, throughout their whole history, right? Throughout, yeah, they've been the one seed three times in their history. They're nine and three wow. in the tournament. And the they, furthest they've got is a championship game, obviously. What twenty eighteen? Yeah, and they that was the wasn't UVA. Who did they lose to? No, that was uh, was it UNC? Was it? Yeah, I think that was the North Carolina. So seventeen. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I just I honestly forgot because I was gonna say UVA, and I was like, no, that was Texas Tech. So yes, Gonzaga lost to unc back in 2017 that was the year that unc you know redeemed themselves after the chris jenkins shot so again gonzaga first round don't think about it uh and whatever the points are you might as well pick them to cover i mean this it's this gonzaga team is is loaded i don't know exactly where the line's at right now but i I would just ride with gonzaga especially in that first probably first two rounds uh after that is where this bracket this region of the bracket gets interesting right you have oklahoma versus missouri Two teams that have really had up and down years. We've seen Oklahoma play as, as good as anybody in the Big 12, not named Baylor, throughout the year. Uh, they're an incredibly great, like, incredibly efficient three-point shooting team. They shoot a lot of them, too. They can, they can run the floor really, really well. And Mizzou is kind of built in that same mold. Like, this is an opportunity to be a track meet. It's one of my sneaky favorite games here to start off uh, on, on. I'm not sure which day they play, but it's one of my favorite Saturday. games. Saturday. Uh, it, it's it's one of the sneaky, really good games. I think it could absolutely turn into a track meet. I like Oklahoma in the first round. I do too. Um, I think they've spiraled enough out of control over the back half of this season. Um, uh, this should be a close one by all accounts. I mean, Oklahoma, it's, they're over one point per possession and, uh, and only give up, they give up less than a point per possession on, uh, on defense. Um, the thing with Oklahoma is the turnover ratio. Um, they got to clean that that up a little bit, I think, because Missouri is a pretty decent defense. Um, the spread right now was one and a half. Uh, Oklahoma to win by one and a half. Um, yeah, I take Oklahoma here. I think, um, I, 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 again, eight, nine seeds are so hard to predict, right? Because they're, yeah. they're eight, eight and nine for a reason. Um, so they're the, the clo- most closely matched. But I, I like Oklahoma in this one. I think they figure out a way, especially with the competition they had in the uh, in the Big 12 this year. And, and that's, a, that's a great point, Scott, because they, uh, you know, it, the advanced numbers really do favor Oklahoma, not by a whole lot, but just by a significant, about 60-40. Uh, but you look at the record versus top 25 teams. Oklahoma's 5-7. and seven, Mizzou is 4-2. and two. So Naturally, I think the inclination is like, all right, well, Missouri has a winning record against, you know, top 25 teams. But the fact that Oklahoma has played in 12 games against top 25 teams – that's a lot of experience, and particularly in the first round, I think that experience will pay off for them. We both like Oklahoma in that game. Next up, we have Creighton versus UC Santa Barbara. This is my first upset here. I love Same. UC Santa Barbara. I think Gauchos. I, I I love the way that they play. They have a they have at least one guy who I think can legitimately make it to the NBA. Uh, and look, Creighton's gone through a lot of shit this year. Uh, the the situation with uh, Greg McDerm- McDermott was. Very weird. I mean, to, to use a phrase like, you know, 
stay on the plantation, I believe is, is what it was. You know, we have to, oh, don't, don't let them leave. And, and he was suspended for a long time. And, and there's, you have to trust your coach, like having trust. We're, we're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids, right? So these guys really do have to believe and trust in their coaches when they get into these moments, because the moment is so big. I'm not sure if the trust has been repaired there. I like Creighton as a team. I, I think Creighton would have been probably a three seed if all that didn't happen the way that they were playing going into that. Um, but I, I like UC Santa Barbara here as the upset. It seems like you do as well. Yeah, Creighton lost to a banged-up Villanova team at the end of the year there, and they've been kind of, you know, figuring themselves out at the end of the year as well. I don't like the way they shoot free throws, and that, mm-hmm. to me, is what wins games in these upset sort of situations where you have the 12 and the 5 particularly. Um, and the Gauchos out of Santa Barbara, uh, they play defense. They yeah. play defense. I mean, they – and. They're they're in the top forty in uh, in defensive efficiency over the year, the entire course of the year. So, uh, look for them to lock down on on those Blue Jays. Holding and, teams to to sixty two points a game. Mm-hmm. Their BPI is not great. I mean, they had an awesome uh, conference record, thirteen and three points per game is about even. They're both at right around seventy seven. Uh, but yeah, Creighton. I mean, Creighton's a team that can light it up from deep. They've that's kind of how that's been their bread and butter under Greg McDermott, but. Uh, father of Doug McDermott, which obviously makes sense. But I like UC Santa Barbara in this one. Uh, next up, we have UVA, Ohio. Now, UVA is one of the teams that had to withdraw from their conference tournaments because of COVID. Uh, and, and we're not exactly sure how, like, what kind of shape they are in in regards to COVID. So I like UVA in the first round. That second round matched up against UC Santa Barbara. I have UC Santa Barbara winning that. And I, oh, and I, wow. think, I think UVA, I like UVA, but this isn't the UVA team that won the title a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't think they have a legit NBA player like a DeAndre Hunter on this team this year. Uh, and, and their guard play has been kind of sus- suspect. And, and, you know, one of the things with the tournament, especially if you follow college basketball, is a lot of people overthink it. They, they, they over, especially if you have a lot of knowledge regarding the sport and you're you're around it all the time it's very easy to get into the weeds and at at some point you kind of have to just take a step back and be like are the guards good do they have a pro the coach right and obviously tony bennett's an incredible coach but i don't know how if they have any legit pros on that team and the guard play has been really inconsistent and they play awesome defense but the offense just has not been there for a lot of this year i think they handle ohio easily the bobcats but uh i i would say in that in that second round of 32 I can see a, an upset there with UC Santa Barbara. That would be interesting uh, because they can they can score for all their faults and and shortcomings on offense, at least on to the eye test this year. Uh, they can score and they can score with the best of them. They're a little bit more opposite of the way that they have played. I think in the in the championship year in the years that they were were making deep runs where they relied on their defense mm-hmm. uh, primarily and and would win games like 65 to, to 58 or something like that. Right. Yeah. Low scoring affair, but yeah, UVA, I like the, that matchup is intriguing that against, uh, against the Gauchos. Absolutely. I, and I, I hope it happens. I, I hope we get to see that in the second round. Uh, yeah. After that, we have our next set of a six seed versus one of the play-in teams, USC taking on the winner of Wichita state and Drake. Now you like Wichita state. You're pretty high on Wichita state. Yeah. Drake, yeah, is a, Drake is a really good team. They had an incredible stretch. They were like 18 and one against the spread back in February, uh, yeah. like to the season up until February. I'm not sure exactly how that streak has continued, but they've been one of the best teams against the spread all year. Uh, I, I think Drake could be a, a dark horse team, but 
I really, really like USC, mainly because we go back to exactly what we were talking about before. Like, where where are you looking at for these pillars and deciding these games? Evan Mobley is going to be one of the top three picks. He, he, he just is. And I think the difference that having a, an outstanding NBA caliber guard makes uh, is pretty drastic. And they don't have a whole lot of experience, but they have a lot of talent and talent in important positions to make a run. I think USC wins this game. And a little spoiler down the line, I think USC can make a little bit of a run here. Ooh, I knew that was your sixth seed. Did you? Because of, uh, because of Evan Mobley, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I like the, the Trojans in this game. The condoms beat the Shockers. Um, uh, what, I do think Wichita State's going to beat uh, Drake in that game, in that play-in game tomorrow or today. Um, uh, I, there are two things to me that jump out with USC, uh, and they're the two things that I find I, I value most importantly in, uh, when I'm picking a bracket in the tournament is offensive rebounding and free throw shooting. Yeah. And USC is good at both. Um, now they're a little less, uh, they're a little weaker at free throw shooting than, um, than a lot of the other teams, even in this region. But, um, uh, their offensive rebounding is top 20 in the country. Um, and they, they force bad shots on defense from, from their team, the team they're playing as well. Um, and Mobley's a big part of that out on the wing. So uh, I like USC uh, one way or the other, whether it's Drake or Wichita State. Yeah, you know, these teams that are really, really athletic, uh, they, they typically don't win a lot of, like that. Like, I think that's a lot of what USC's, like you said, like the offensive rebounding, everything like that. Like, I think one of the things that can happen in the tournament is if you are just that much more athletic and physically gifted than some of the other teams that you're playing, you can make a little run. You're probably not going to win a national title, but I think you can make it a few rounds almost just based, especially it's dependent on, on matchups and whatnot. Uh, But I I like USC in this one. Then we have Kansas and Eastern Washington, Uh, Eastern Washington. I, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about them. I loved the way that Kansas was playing heading into the Big 12 tournament. I thought it was very unfortunate that they didn't get a chance to, to compete because I think they really would have made that tournament even more fascinating than it was. But look, this is another team in that similar to UVA that we talked about that. You know, we're really not exactly sure how they're going to look when it comes to the COVID implications here and how many guys are affected by it. Cause not all of that information is public, you know, and, and we'll get into it a little more with uh, Georgia tech, Georgia tech had announced yesterday that one of their traveling party members tested positive. We don't know if it's a coach. We don't know if it's a trainer. We don't know if it's a player, but that absolutely throws a wrinkle into all of this. And the lack of knowing in a lot of these cases, we may not know until tip off who exactly is in or out. And it sucks because, I actually loved that. I loved the Georgia tech line. They were three and a half point underdogs and I loved that that line, but unfortunately until we know who the affected player was uh, and with contact or, or affected member of their travel party, uh, we're not going to necessarily know. We don't know who was in contact with them with contact tracing, everything else. It's just another wrinkle that gets added here doing a tournament, but I think we're both on board. I think Kansas makes it to the second round Uh, Seven ten matchup, a notorious matchup always is the seven tens because similarly to the eight nines, a lot of these teams are pretty close. I like VCU over Oregon. Yeah, man. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm not a huge Oregon fan. They've been really up and down, 
But uh, I like VCU. I, I don't think they're going on another miracle run like they did under Shaka Smart. But look, it's been 10 years to this this year's 10 years since that run. And wow, I think they use really? a little yeah. I think God. they use a little bit of that inspiration. I think they find their way into the second round. Yeah, I they they're the number 14 defense in the country for a reason. Um, I don't think anyone is coming out of, out of the Pac-12 other than Colorado, and we'll get there. Um, USC might make it a bit of a run just based on the, the region that they're in. Um, I'm not sold on Oregon. Uh, a five-and-a-half-point spread in a, in a 7-10 matchup leads me to believe that defense is going to win this game. Um, and VCU, I don't know if you watched any of the uh, – the a10 tournament but they were they were starting to light it up there at the end yeah and, and i think a lot of the public is on oregon you know that's why that line is going down and as a general rule of thumb when it comes to betting is you kind of want to fade the public you know when, when the public is on something just look at the super bowl when 70 percent of the money was on the chiefs why didn't you know it's amazing that many people were dumb like me and betted against tom brady but when, when the public is fading one way or when the public is leaning one way fade the opposite and i think this is a situation here with vcu that uh, they, they should do that and to to finish up the first round here iowa versus grand canyon now grand canyon's a fascinating story aren't they right this was <laughs> this is like you know if the university of phoenix decided to start up a basketball team because that's how gcu started they were an online university uh, I remember learning about this in college. I was a sports management major. So I learned about these kind of weird stories and this, the business side of sports. GCU was an online university. I think they had like 70,000 people online and then only about 20,000 in person when they opened up an actual campus. And <laughs> they, they were able to create a basketball team. And now this is the second time in three years. Well, I guess the last three tournaments, at least that Grand Canyon has now made it. Um, and it's, it's a really awesome story. Love the colors, the purple and white. The Jackrabbits. Uh, the Jackrabbits, there you go. Unfortunately, though, they're playing Iowa. They're playing Luca Garza, who is going to win the, the player of the year, the Wooden yeah. Award, uh, deservedly so. I don't love Iowa for a long run here in the, in the tournament, but I think they handled you know, Grand Canyon pretty easily here. Yeah, uh, the Antelopes out of Grand Canyon University, they – a great defense, but you're right. They're playing uh, an offense that scores 83 points a game, 83 and a half points a game. Uh, and that's in the Big Ten, which is yeah. uh, known for their defense in, mm -hmm. uh, in basketball. Um, so I I think this point spread is right now, it says it's 14 and a half. Uh, it's the over under here. Let's see. Uh, over, over under is 145. I'd take that. I'd hammer the over on that one. Um, I think. Uh, this is not even close. Uh, Iowa moves on. Yeah, I, and look, I mean, you're, we're talking about one of the best players in the country in Luca Garza. And on top of that, uh, you you make a great point that 83 points a game in the Big Ten is impressive, and they can they light it up from deep, man. Like they can really spread the floor. It allows Luca Garza to work his post game in, but then Luca Garza can also shoot it from deep too. So, yeah, it, it, they're they're a two seed for a reason, right? And and that's one of those just don't overthink it sometimes with those seeds. Uh, Let's head down now to the east part of the bracket. We're going to talk. This is the Michigan bracket, okay? And Michigan is – they're in a tough spot right now, all right? They, they lost one of their best offensive players. We don't know when he's coming back. He was in a boot during the Big Ten championship game, which is never a good sign. And they just – they didn't look good. Now, the I think the Ohio State game was – now, I don't know if you saw that last possession in the Ohio State-Michigan uh, game over the weekend. But I think when you have rivalry games like that, 
as cliche as it is, you know, throw the records out the window. Um, I, I don't, I don't think you can read too much into it. You know what I mean? I don't think you can look too much into it. Oh, well, they lost to Ohio State. Like, yeah, they lost to Ohio State in the semifinal. So Michigan's still, well, yeah. really, Michigan's still a really good team. They have a really tough bracket, uh, a really tough bracket. And yeah. I I like Michigan, obviously, to win. We're not saying a 16-1 this year. We're just not. So we don't have to spend too much time on it. But that second-round matchup could be really uh, difficult because St. Bonnie's, oh, I, yes. I love – Spoiler alert. Love me the Bonnie's. Uh, they're Boiler. playing. They're playing LSU in the eight-nine matchup. As much as I love the Bonnies, though, I really like LSU, and I yeah. really love the way they were playing down the stretch. They this were a good team. They were impressive as hell, and they were not supposed to be, you know, in that SEC tournament as long as they were. Knocking off Arkansas, who's an awesome team in the SEC tournament. Uh, I love LSU. God, they can score, man. They really I mean, they can. just get out and score. And and take all the Will Wade like Will Wade's not my favorite human being in the world. I I have a lot of conflicting things about him, uh, <laughs> and I've always been a little partial to LSU. LSU football is like my adopted college football team. It's been that way since I was, you know, twelve, thirteen years old. Uh, I re- and also Ben Simmons, my favorite NBA player, played at LSU. I like LSU here. Go Tigers! Uh, and but also like I could see this game going either way because I think Bon St. Bonnie's is really good. Yeah, I do too. And if you look at the advanced metrics on offense, LSU dominates on defense in this matchup. St. Bonaventure has uh, all the the higher advanced metrics. Um, but again, this is one of those those eight nine matchups that's like this, this could go either way. Uh, I and in those situations, I tend to favor uh, the team that has played better competition over the course of the season, and that's definitely LSU. Yeah, I mean, just look at the the top twenty five, you know, record versus top twenty five. Now LSU is only two and five against top twenty five teams. St. Bonnie's hasn't played a top twenty five team. Yeah, uh, and now their BPI is is eerily close, right? They have LSU at number twenty four right now. ESPN does, and St. Bonnie's at twenty eight. Um, but like you said, like both these teams can score the rock. I mean, LSU is averaging eighty two points a game. St. Bonnie's is averaging seventy points a game. Uh, but the difference here is St. Bonnie's plays really good defense and LSU doesn't really have a whole lot of defense. So the yeah. way that St. Bonnie's ends up winning this game is they get hot from deep and, and they just kind of make a run on it. And LSU just, it's not falling for them, but I think LSU has the bodies, right? It's the X's and O's versus the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Sometimes yep. that it, that's more of a football thing, no doubt. Uh, but in, in basketball, especially when you're talking about like an sec school going up against what, where does St. Bonnie's play? They a 10, a 10. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, there's a difference in, in on the court talent, but Hey, this is March. This was crazy. This is when crazy shit happens. Uh, all right. Next up, we have a five 12 matchup, Colorado versus Georgetown. You gave me some side eye there. I think I know where you're going here because your, your Hoy has <laughs> made, your Hoy has made you some coin in oh, that. Yeah, big, they did. We didn't get a chance to talk about this. Tell, tell the story quickly here about, about your big win this weekend uh, no with problem. Georgetown. <laughs> I took Georgetown at the beginning of the big East tournament. I don't know how uh, or why, but God bless you. You know, I said, here, here's a hundred bucks. Go for it. Um, wow. And I put a, I put a little bit out uh, uh, amongst different uh, conference tournament teams. Um, I put some money on, on Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown won me a lot of money. It was one of those situations. What were those where, odds again? Uh, I got to look 80, it up. Plus 8,500. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah. I think it was 8,500. Um, God damn, man. So yeah, uh, thank you, thank you to uh, Georgetown University. Uh, I've 
luckily I live in the area. I can come visit you guys. Um, but uh, big fan of the Hoyas. Big, uh, I love Patrick Ewing as a player. I uh, love him even more as a coach. Um, uh, but they yeah, are thank the, you, Georgetown. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have zero confidence in you in this game. Uh, oh, go, go Buffs. <laughs> wow. You hit me with the hezzy hay. Damn. <laughs> Georgetown is the Alabama uh, football of improv comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Kroll, John Mulaney. They have some like all-time comedians that come out of that school. Uh, yeah. But I am with you, actually. I thought for sure you were going Georgetown. No, no. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. I think they kind of... I think they kind of blew their load a little too early, man. I think I think they just they were you know it, it's so hard to win. And I, we were talking about this off air, and I'm, I'm not going to say specific numbers can butcher the stat, but historically speaking, it's been a long time since we've had a team make a deep well not make a deep run necessarily, but win a national title after also winning your conference tournament. And you put so much into winning your conference tournament. It's uh, for a lot of players, it's not as important, obviously, but for smaller schools, a lot of times it is. And for a team like Georgetown that had zero expectations, even being there, uh, I I think that, you know, they kind of let the air out of the balloon a little bit. And I'm with you. I like Colorado a lot. Again, another team that has at least one pro on it. And the best free throw shooting team in the country, by the way, really Colorado. There you go. That's an awesome tidbit. Yeah. I like, uh, I like Colorado as well. All right. Florida State versus UNC Greensboro. Now, UNC Greensboro did make a run, uh, I think it was like three or four years ago, uh, into a couple rounds as a 13 seed. So this is familiar territory for them. But that team in particular could shoot the lights out of the ball. And I love Florida State, man. Leonard Hamilton has been doing it for a long time. They play great defense. They're athletic. They can shoot the ball really well. Uh, The one question mark with Florida State is, Who's running the offense, right? It goes back to the guard play. You need these pillars when you're picking these games, right? You need those kind of core values here. And for me, I love Florida State here in the first round. I kind of like – I love them in the second round. We're going to get into the Elite Eight uh, later, and we'll we'll get into that. But I have the Seminoles uh, taken down – Yeah. The Eagles? What is UNC Greensboro? Uh, yeah, that's a good right? question. The Spartans. It's the Spartans. Oh, it is the Spartans. Oh, not a I bird was, at all. No, nope, yeah. not a bird at all. I was completely, <laughs> I was completely I have, wrong. I have, it's funny. I, I have Florida State winning this game too, I think. But I, I know in one bracket, at least, I have this is an upset with Greensboro upsetting uh, Florida State. So, Oof. something yeah, to keep an eye on, on for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, here we got a six and 11 seed. All right, BYU taking on the winner of Michigan State and UCLA. This is fascinating. I think UCLA is hot garbage, and I think they're soft as baby shit, and I think Michigan State, Tom Izzo, they're going to win that game. But then they have to play BYU, and it's important to remember in the West Coast Conference Championship game, BYU was up 12 on Gonzaga at halftime. This is a team that can flat-out score the rock, all right? Yeah. I, I'm – Usually hesitant with BYU teams. This isn't Jimmer Fredette, right? We're not we're not talking about that kind of BYU team, but they've been sneakily flying under the radar all year. And and honestly, yeah. if you just if you just take a look at the numbers, Scott, I mean, seventy eight points per game. They're ten and three in conference. They're a top thirty team. They're one and three against top twenty five teams. So they do have at least one win there. Uh, no matter what, I I'm hammering BYU. Give me the Cougs, and uh, we'll they'll move on to the second round and have a really tough matchup uh, as we continue to go down. You'll hear. Watch watch that second round matchup after BYU wins this game. Uh, of BYU's six losses, three of them were to Gonzaga. So that'll tell you how good of a team they are. Um, and 
man, are they efficient shooters. Um, I really like BYU. Uh, you talk about six seeds moving, making a deep run. Uh, watch out for the Cougs, the Storm and Mormons. Yeah, but I would also, hey, look, it's I would not be su- surprised if uh, if old Sparty up there in East Lansing decides to, to make a run. It's Tom Izzo, right? Like coaching is a huge part of this. It's one of the pillars I was talking about. You know, guard play, how many pros do you have? How good is your coach? And there's at least one pro on Michigan State, and it's Tom Izzo who is the last Big Ten coach to win a national title. So you, you can't rule them out. I would not be shocked if they also made a little bit run there as a first four in because we have seen, obviously not last year, but over the last few years that these first four in teams have made a, a pretty good run here. Uh, let's quickly wrap up here the last part of this bracket, Texas versus Albany and Christian. If there is going to be a 314 upset, this is definitely one of the teams I could see doing it. No one knows about Albany and Christian. We were talking about this last night on our radio show. Dallin Cuff, a uh, big-time fan of Albany and Christian. But I really like Texas. And I don't think Texas is going to make like a miracle run. But I have them getting all the way up sneak preview to at least the Elite Eight. And I think they knock off Albany and Christian here pretty handily. I think this is one of those that people will convince themselves will happen. Similar to Georgetown, Texas just wins the Big 12 championship, all this stuff. They have a little break. I like Texas. Give me the Longhorns. All day. But uh, it sucks for Abilene Christian, the matchup, because that's the best defensive team in the country in terms yeah. of efficiency. Um, yeah. So great rim protection. Yeah. But Albion Christian can shoot the ball, right? So yeah. if, if they can get hot from deep, you don't have to necessarily work about getting inside, and that's kind of the magic that happens here in March Madness. Uh, but I like I, – who? how can we forget about Shaka and his hair now? I mean, Shaka's smart. <laughs> and The Duke can flat-out coach. Similar to what we said with VCU. 10 years since Shaka Smart took that VCU team all the way to the Final Four, and I absolutely think we could see something similar here. That decade-long, he's got some some good mojo there. Uh, again, another team with a couple pros on it as well. All right, last, last two here. Hook them horns, baby. Okay, cool. Hook them. Uh, UConn, Maryland. Give me the Terps. And that's a hot yeah. take. People love yeah. UConn. People really like UConn. Yeah, the this, it's it's three points uh, on the line. Yeah, I like the, I like Maryland in this one myself. Um, I don't know why. It just seems like a gut. I hate Maryland just overall, um, but it just seems like a gut feeling to me. They play better competition all year. I mean, going what what was their record in the in the conference it was like barely over five hundred. I think they were like a nine. They were nine nine the, and eleven. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they were under five hundred. I think they were a nine or. A ten seed in the uh, in the Big Ten tournament, but that's pretty damn good. And they held that you have nine Big Ten teams in the NC two A tournament. Yeah, four four and seven against top twenty five teams. UConn zero oh and four against top twenty five teams. Yeah, and on top of it, Maryland has kept opponents to only playing sixty or only putting up sixty five points a game, like while playing in the Big Ten, yeah. which has been one of the most loaded conferences we've really seen, at least in in recent history. I also I I don't love Mark Turgeon, but I think his players do, and I think that fan base does. So I think there's a certain belief in in him, and and I like the Terps. But again, another game I could see kind of going either way. Last one here, Alabama Crimson Tide taking on Rick Pitino, one of only yeah, three man. coaches to ever lead five programs to the NCAA tournament. It's like him, Lon Kruger, and one other coach that I, I, I'm failing to remember. 
Uh, I love the Rick Pitino storyline. I find everything about Rick Pitino just absolutely hilarious. I don't take him seriously as a real human being. I've spoken to him on the phone. He's been a guest on multiple shows I've produced. No oh, shocker. Yeah? No shocker here. Not the nicest guy. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, right. Uh, but Alabama is – I really like Alabama, and I will leave it at that because we're going to be talking about them here in, the, in our next segment. Yeah, for a while for me, but – um, all right, let's speed up here in the second half of the bracket. We have Baylor, Roll Hartford. Tie. Don't got to talk about that. Baylor, they're going to move on. UNC Easy. versus Wisconsin. This uh, game is intriguing. It's very intriguing. It's a spoiler a little bit here to when we talk about our betting stuff. This is a game I'm going to want to hammer, and I would suggest other people hammer as well. I like the Tar Heels. I think the Tar Heels are they are too talented. Roy Williams has too much experience. And right now, it's there's a mismatch here, right? Wisconsin cannot handle the backcourt of UNC. And UNC can't really handle the frontcourt of Wisconsin. What's going to win? Your guards or your big men? Your guards are going to win. So I Guard t- play I, all day. I like the backcourt. Give me the Tar Heels. Yep, all day. Are we? I feel like we're like in step here. Like we've pretty much picked the same exact. Yeah, get part. out of my brain. <laughs> Uh, I think we're going to differ on this one. Villanova, yeah, well, Villanova and Winthrop. This has become the very popular 12 upsetting the five here. Winthrop has experience in the tournament. They've been there a bunch. They kind of dominate their conference. 23 Vill- and 0. Villanova lost. And Sorry. Yeah. Villanova lost uh, Colin Gillespie, which is devastating. But again, like we said, when the public is really leaning one way, Fade the shit out of it. And I think Villanova has enough experience. I think they have a top three coach in the country. Uh, we were talking about this when we were recording the pod the other day. Jay Wright has the most national championships of any coach in the tournament. He's got two. No one else has more than one. So wow. give give me the Nova Wildcats. They're my team. They're my school. I'm always going to pull for them. Uh, and, and I don't think they make it past the second round, but I do think they take care of Winthrop. I think this game is going to be closer than the six and a half on the line. I would take Winthrop plus six and a half. Uh, but um, yeah, I think Villanova ends up winning the game. I, I, I do think Winthrop will cover though. Yeah. Uh, too good. Yeah. They're, I mean, look, they're a good team. And, and when you have a, like a, a factory of mid majors, I think, you know, the, those kinds of teams, Iona is very similar, right? The Rick, Rick Patino Iona team, like Iona, has been great. They've made like five straight tournaments before Rick Pitino got there. So oh, the Gales, you know, all the people who are saying like, Oh, Rick Pitino, it's like, no, that program was already established. They were already dominating that conference to begin with. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Rick Pitino is going to leave within the next two years. I'd, I'd put a shitload of money on that. If they had that future back to uh, a power five, Yeah. Purdue versus North Texas. I this don't know. One's whole, intriguing too. I don't know a whole lot about North Texas. So I I'm taking Purdue on this one. Cause I like Purdue. Give me your North Texas argument. Uh, just the way they played in the uh, in the Conference USA Championship. Um, they were long. They were athletic. They got out and, and ran against a really good Louisiana Tech team in the semifinal. Um, and and they can shoot from deep. Um, I don't think that they're they're good enough to hold up down low uh, with the uh, the big seven footer Edie and um, and uh, oh gosh I forget the other guy who scores down low in the post. Um, forgive me, Purdue. Uh, boiler up, though. I'm, I'm going Boilermakers. They're just too big and too athletic and too strong. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel here, too. Uh, another really interesting matchup, 6 versus 11. Texas Tech taking on Utah State. I want you to go first on this one, and then I'll, I'll give my response afterwards. I go Tech. Uh, they they unraveled a little bit uh, toward the end of the year. Um, 
I, yeah, it's just one of those those feelings. Like Utah State was on the on the bubble for for so long, and it seems like that's something you can use as motivation. Um, but their Texas Tech's defense is just too good, I think, to uh, to not beat a team like Utah State. Yeah, so it's crazy. They're a six seed, but in the basketball power index that ESPN has, they're number eight in the country, which it tells you what yeah. you know the advanced numbers you know, like about Texas tech. I love Chris Beard. I love the Texas tech team. They've been there before. I think a lot of people are, are really in on Texas tech, but yeah, if you're, if you're going to pick a, a, somebody, a darling in the tournament to make some money off of, I would, I would go Texas tech. That would be on the top or toward the top of my list there, but I'm taking Utah state. Oh, and- wow. And, and and here's the reason why, and you actually kind of alluded yeah, to it a little bit. Being on the bubble for a long time means that you you have to win games in order to to get to this point. There is pressure every single night, right? They are, and I don't think they're going to make some historic run as an 11 seed. But and look, Texas Tech has played 11 teams in the top 25, and Utah State has only played one, and they lost. I'm pretty sure it was Gonzaga. I think Utah State here, their their numbers statistically are eerily similar. They dominated their conference outside of, you know, a couple of losses there. I think when you have to play on the bubble as long as they did, there is just an inherent level of pressure that you become comfortable playing with. And, and I, 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 that's why I like Utah State here. Yeah, who's um, the, the, the kid, uh, Nemias Queta has a, he's like a, a, just a walking double-double. He's like yeah. 14 and a half and 10 a game. Like that's. And that's the kind of stuff that that makes a difference here in, in you know, offensive rebounding, defense, and honestly, just rebounding in general plays a massive role uh, in, oh, yeah. in the tournament. And yeah, I, I like Utah State. I think they I think they pulled off. All right, Arkansas, Colgate. Arkansas, don't think twice about it. Hammer it. Sorry, Colgate. Get the hell out of here. Toothpaste. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> 7-10 setup. Florida versus Virginia Tech. Uh, I think Florida was criminally overseeded. I think it's crazy to me that they're a seven seed. And I like Virginia Tech. And that pains hokey, me to say because I really high. am not I'm not a fan of Virginia Tech as a as a whole institution. Uh, but I like Virginia Tech here. Um, they spent a lot of the season in the top 25. They're well coached. I think when when uh not Chris Beard, who was the who was the coach? Buzz Williams was there Buzz, yeah. um, at Virginia Tech, I think a lot of people thought. You know, oh well. After Buzz left for Texas A and M, like this, this Virginia Tech team is going to fall off. I think they have some some friskiness there, and I think they have a little bit of like no one believes in us. And I I, I like the Hokies there to knock off the Gators. Uh, and the last game here in this region, Ohio State Oral Roberts. I don't love Ohio State, but they're not they're not losing to Oral Roberts. Sorry, they're just or I misspoke earlier. Colorado was number two at free throw shooting. You know who's number one? Oral Roberts. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. That's great. Oral Roberts, um, the leading free throw te- shooting team in the country, but they're not being Ohio State. I no, mean, no, I, I, I'm completely Dale with and you. them boys. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's no shot. <laughs> uh, Illinois, Drexel, Illinois. Sorry, CAA. That probably would have been the JMU spot if they made it. So um, I guess I'm happy to see that JMU wouldn't have been getting spanked by Illinois. Uh, this this next matchup here, right? We have our Lo- Loyola Chicago, <laughs> Loyola Chicago, Ramblers. Sister Jean taking on Georgia. He's Tech. gonna. She's going to be there. Did you see that? She is. She got vaccinated. She's going to be, she was pushing hard. I mean, the woman's 102 years old. Like yeah, if she wants to go, let's get sister Jean there. Let's make it happen. Let's just make it sure that she's as safe as she can be. Uh, This is a fascinating eight, nine matchup. As we alluded to earlier, Georgia tech right now, I originally had Georgia tech winning this. 
Yeah. But after knowing this, without knowing this, this who is impacted with this COVID contact tracing, everything else, who's even going to show up there on Saturday? I'm, I'm starting to kind of question myself. So maybe you can, you can lean me one way or the other here, Scott. Uh, okay. Well, let's talk about the offense of uh, Georgia Tech, who ran through the ACC tournament and took down a, a great Florida team. Uh, they had the, the, the ACC player of the year, Moses Wright, um, and they're good on both sides of the ball. Um, but I think uh, when it comes to, to tournament teams uh, that, that just excel, it's it comes down to uh, to the defensive uh, the defensive minded unit out of uh, out of the Ramblers there in Loyola Chicago. Um, I think they're they're good at at uh, defense. They're good at defensive rebounding, um, and they can score. Um, yeah, the one the one thing with them too is it's kind of like I guess there's a lot of anticipation with with them, right? There's a lot of people kind of hoping like, hey, like. They made this well, run before, that. you know, yeah. and I don't think this is the same team, but at the same time, they have better players now than they did before because of that run. It helped increase recruiting and everything else. I'm still going to lean towards Georgia Tech, but I think that could be a really fun game, and I hope that we get to see a fully loaded Georgia Tech team. Um, Tennessee versus Oregon State. Tennessee, another team. I don't know how they got a five seed. I- I'm-, I'm genuinely shocked by it. They've been disappointing all year they lost to a terrible kentucky Watch team. Out, though. they're gonna a get a little terrible frisky. kentucky team give me the beavers man they're they're riding the oh, heater wow. right now i like oregon state here uh who you got here and we'll we'll rip through these last few games i got i got tennessee their defense is too good and if they can play at the level they were at the beginning of the year they can score that's good they i think they're gonna be a frisky team in that region rick rick barnes overrated at least in okay. the tournament in the tournament rick barnes overrated uh oklahoma state liberty Cade Cunningham, best player in the country. Don't think twice pokes. about it. Go yep. with the pokes. Uh, San Diego State, Syracuse. Syracuse, soft as baby shit. Yeah. Give me San Diego State. Another thing about San Diego State that I really, really like, they are hungry. They would have been a one seed last year. And for a mid-major program like that to have that taken away from them, I think they're going to be freaking starving. And it sucks that they have to play West Virginia there in the second round. But I really, I, actually... I, I, I like San Diego State. If that if that is the matchup, if you get the three six with West Virginia and San Diego State, um, whatever the over is, take it because they're going to be shooting threes all day long yeah. in that game. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, and we'll see here. Florida State versus Morehead. Or sorry, Florida State, West Virginia versus Morehead State. West Virginia. Bob Huggins yeah. has this team prepped for a good run. And look, it's like this is a team that I could see fucking around and and if they were able to get by Illinois or if Oklahoma State upset Illinois, they could make a run to the final four. I there I, was re- a, I really believe that. There was a time in even uh it late January, early February where I thought West Virginia was and it was right uh, maybe it was even later than that. Um they ended up playing Baylor and beat them um and and that's when I was kind of, and they were had started to come on and and elevate the, their play uh, at that point of the season. And they yeah, were they're, they're one of they're one of two teams that beat Baylor this year. And and then they beat Baylor, and I was like, whoa, uh, yeah. watch out! So uh, if it's if a classic can, Huggy Bear team, they can shoot the ball great from deep. They have Culver there. Derek Culver's awesome in the middle. Uh, big fan of West Virginia and the Mountaineers uh, win easily. Clemson versus Rutgers. Uh, this is one of the things I'm probably gonna have to go back and change because I actually have all. Four four 10 seeds upsetting the seven. <laughs> uh, I like Rutgers. Again, I think they've played much different competition. 
I liked Clemson too. My original bracket that I filled out had Clemson winning, um, but I, I've I've kind of switched slowly here. I, I'm still up in the air. I'm I'm kind of undecided on this one because not all four ten seeds are going to win. Uh, but I like Rutgers, and it, it, from smarter people than me when it comes to college basketball, like Rutgers, uh, I, I would lean them. And not a lot of people are high on Clemson either. Yeah, this is a number seven seed in Clemson that I think, as you alluded to, at Florida earlier at the same seed level, I think is is criminally high. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think Clemson is a seven seed Rutgers was put on the map in, in December. They started getting attention after they beat Illinois. Uh, they got, uh, what the hell's his name? Uh, miles, uh, miles Johnson. Is that mm-hmm. it? Yep. Yeah. Who uh, he's, he's, he's the, the defender in the paint who yeah. you want in a tournament game like this. Um, Absolutely. Give me, Ruck, give me Rutgers. It's, it's annoying that I've picked both Rutgers and Maryland to win. Yeah. In the, in the first round but well, there it is go scarlet knights that 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 whole athletic program needs some wins man that they just <laughs> they just do uh and the Except last game last game here of the first 64 houston cleveland state cleveland state is an awesome story yeah and a lot of people like houston and i don't know man i'm just not i'm not sold on houston i'm just not they don't play in hold on tom brady either though in the super bowl so <laughs> Well, if you're comparing, are you comparing Houston basketball to Tom Brady? Oh yeah, I'll do it. Get the fuck out of here. I'll go there. Uh, if we see a 15 upset of two, it will be this game. Uh, we had the head coach from Cleveland State on, Dennis Gates, awesome guy, really impressive. Sure. Learned from uh, he was on Leonard Hamilton's staff for a really long time. That's kind of his mentor. I do think Houston wins, but I don't think Houston is is a top level two seed. Get out of here. Yes, they are. Houston can score and will. Uh, it's just... They play in the American. And and what? And what? They got a veteran team. They they can off... They rebound the ball very efficiently on both sides of the ball. They're in the top 20 on offensive and defensive rebounding. They score. They get out. You, I agree with you. If there's a 15, it's going to be to two. It's here. Um, but it's not happening. Um, no, it's not in Houston. Not at all. Um, it's uh, it's a five slam a jam all the way for me, baby. Go kooks. I'm not on it. You are on that island by yourself. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back, give our picks quickly. We went pretty long here, but you know what? This it's the tournament. It's worth getting into here. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Come back, give our favorite bets. We're gonna go through our lead eight, final four, national championship, and we will get you on your way to March Madness. All right, and we are back. It is time now, Scotty, to get into more of the. The meat and potatoes, right? Because the first two rounds of the tournament are a ton of fun and exciting. And those days are crazy. But you don't get a whole lot of time to process everything because it's just chaos. There's so much going on. So looking ahead to what potential Elite Eight matchups we have, uh, in the top bracket, the West region, I have Gonzaga taking down USC in the Elite Eight. Oh, I like the USC pick, but I think Iowa's just too good. Um that's Luca Garza is going to lead those guys. Wow. You know, though, if there were a six to get there, I'd like, I like USC. Um, No, you know what? I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you. USC goes, they got um, Evan Mobley's the best player. I I, just, one of the best college players I've ever seen. Um, Yeah. He's an elite level NBA talent. And that's usually what carries you in times like this. So USC, that, USC could also very easily lose in the second round to Kansas, but I think Kansas is in a weird spot because of the COVID situation. And I just, I don't have a lot of faith in them coming back from that. And necessarily, we just don't know who's affected, who exactly got it, 
how many guys are out with tra- contact tracing. And hopefully by the time the second round comes, you know, comes around, um, they will be back at full strength. But also if a player actually got it and got sick, then, you know, they, there's just a lot of question marks there. I like Bill Self, but I think USC has enough talent there to get by. The case against for Iowa, and I also have UC Santa Barbara upsetting UVA, as we said. So Gonzaga taking down UC Santa Barbara and then Gonzaga USC. And then I have USC beating Iowa. Iowa can just shoot lights out from deep, right? And and, and ultimately, if they get hot at the right time, Luca Garza has a 30-point game. Uh, you know, I think that could really slow down USC, or at least maybe not slow them down, but that game could turn into a track meet. The thing with USC, though, is they're so long. They're so athletic. They have a, the arguably the best point guard in the country. I just think the Trojans have – I think they're a dark horse team that not a lot of people are high on. The Pac-12 wasn't exactly the strongest conference of – uh, of the power six in college <laughs> basketball. I like USC there uh, going against the Zags, but I do have the Zags making it to the final four. Uh, next bracket. Yep. This is the East bracket, correct? Yes. This is the Michigan bracket. I have Michigan losing to LSU in the second round. Yes, sir. So I like the Tigers. I think St. Bonnie's or LSU can beat Michigan. I also, I mean, look, they're, they're a number one seed for a reason, right? And they're really well coached. I like Juwan Howard, but... This is the first time Juwan Howard has ever coached in the NCAA tournament. It's the first time he's ever been a head coach in a high-pressure situation. It's the first and, time they've been a, a one seed since he played at yeah. Michigan with the Fab Five. And, and so there's there's a lot of uncertainty there. And Will Wade is a good coach, and they have a lot of pros. And it's again, it's one of those one of those teams that I can just see LSU for as good defensively as Michigan has been this year. LSU just has a lot of guys that can get to the rack, and I have them then losing to Florida state in the sweet 16. And I have Florida state versus Alabama in the elite eight, Texas, BYU. I have Texas knocking off the Cougars and Alabama, uh, Alabama knocking off either Yukon or Maryland, as I'm starting to doubt myself there on that seven ten matchup. And I've Alabama then taking down Texas. I think Alabama is just, they're so good at shooting the three. They shoot the three, like a pro team. They, they, they're built like an, like an NBA team. And that is such a unicorn in college basketball these days. And the SEC is kind of their fast, up pay, like, uh, upbeat, high-speed kind of a, a track meet style of conference. And I really like Florida State. I think Florida State could win that game too and, and sneak their way into the Final Four. But I think Alabama would just be too too good. And the other fun wrinkle here is I, usually, I produce a show with Danny Cannell and Greg McElroy, Florida State and Alabama. Uh, that would be really, really fun to be in studio with those guys and to, well, to break that bad. down. Exactly. But uh, I like the Crimson Tide to, to make it to the final four. Oh, malarkey, I say. <laughs> LSU does take down Michigan. I agree with that pick. Colorado upsets Florida State. Colorado Ooh. can shoot. Colorado can get out and spread the floor just as well as Florida State can. And guess what the difference is? Free throw shooting. Colorado, the second best free throw shooting team in the league or in the NC2A. Uh, then I got Colorado LSU in the Sweet 16 matchup. Colorado moves on. Go Buffs. Uh, incidentally, my brother-in-law uh, just got a job at UC Boulder. Go Buffs. Um, um, then on the on the bottom half of the bracket, we've got the uh, Maryland-Alabama um, after after Maryland takes out uh, UConn. Alabama moves on. Texas beats BYU in the second round. Uh, I like Texas and Shaka Smart with their experience in this game. Wow. Hook them. Colorado-Texas, an old Big 12 rematch. Uh Texas moves on to the final four. Texas gets frisky, moves on to the final four out of this bracket. Ooh, 
Texas to the final four. I like it. My, con- my concern goes back to the stat we were talking about before, which is how rare it is for teams that win their conference to then make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, even to the final four. It just doesn't happen all that much, but this year is in, is interesting. And what Texas did against Oklahoma state against Cade Cunningham, I think they would, they, I could, again, I, I wouldn't bet on it, but I could definitely see that happening. Uh, and that's interesting. I just, I, I don't know, and, man. I just, I love I Alabama. For me, Texas is, is one of those teams. There's always a team, right? That, and, there are usually a lot of them, but there's a team that you look at when you get to uh, the NC2A tournament that you know is peaking at the right time. Texas is getting hot at the right time. It's and true. If Alabama's a little bit on their heels, um, thinking that that in that Sweet 16 matchup that they can they can cruise past Jocka Smart and them boys in Austin, uh, think again. Um, Roll Tide is not happening in basketball. It's good enough in football. Get out of here, Alabama. Hook them. <sighs> I see. And, you know, here's an interesting thing, uh, thing here too, Scott. Everyone's talked about all year how great the Big Ten is. And the Big Ten has been awesome. I said this on air on Sunday morning when I was doing a show. I think that we're going to see more Big 12 teams make it to the Elite Eight – or, sorry, to the Sweet 16 than Big Ten teams. I, oh, think yeah. the, I think the Big 12 is as good, if not better, than the Big 10. But all the focus has been, up, been on the Big 10. And Texas has had to play an incredibly difficult schedule, one of the hardest strength of schedules in the entire, uh, the entire country. They lost to Villanova early in the year when Villanova was one of the top three teams in the country. But, you know, Texas is 7-6 and six against top 25 teams. And 11-6 and six in one of the most competitive conferences. And, again, they play great defense. And they can score the ball. Like they average 75 points a game. Alabama's just about 80. So they can score it. They can play good defense. They have great size, athleticism, great coach with experience. I can totally see it. But no, fuck that. Give me Alabama. Um, <laughs> uh, in the Elite Eight here in the South region, this is the Baylor bracket. Uh, I have Baylor losing to Arkansas and the must bust there in the South region. I love Arkansas. I love Eric Musselman, the job he's done there in just a couple of years. They're built with a perfect mixture of transfers, young guys, and some experienced players and veterans. The job he did at Nevada before coming to Arkansas, I don't know how long Musselman's going to be in Arkansas. He is absolutely, I think he's a dark horse candidate for the Indiana job. I don't think he leaves yet. I think he's also a dark horse candidate for the Minnesota job that just opened up. I think ultimately he wants to make a jump to the big 10 at some point. I I just love the way that he coaches. I love their style to get there. I have Baylor beating UNC Purdue knocking off Villanova and then Baylor beating Purdue to get to the elite eight. And then on the South side of it, like I said, Arkansas will knock off uh, Utah State, I think that would be a great matchup. Again, a team in Utah State, Nevada, played in the same conference. Musselman knows that team, so if he does get that matchup, it's a very favorable matchup there for Arkansas. Ohio State, Virginia Tech, I like the Buckeyes, and then I think Arkansas takes care of Ohio State in the Sweet 16. Yeah, Who do you have? No, ar- no argument there. I, Baylor's just too good and too athletic. Um, I, I, that Elite Eight game is going to be fire. Uh, yeah. between Baylor and Arkansas. I really um, hope we get it. Yeah, I do too. Even a, a, a Baylor-Ohio State game I think would be really good um, just because both teams are very athletic and can shoot the ball. I think Ohio State's a little better on defense. Uh, but I love what uh, what Baylor's put together um, over the uh, – what's the, the head coach's name, for God's sake? Scott. Scott um, Drew. Scott, Scott Drew. I love what he's put together there. Um, 
and and really that they've been a number one team, a top shelf team all year long for a reason. Um, I think they get there. Um, I think they get to the final four. They're going to beat Arkansas in that, uh, in that elite ma- eight matchup. Yeah. The, the one concern I have with Arkansas is they're, they're averaging on the defensive end. They're giving up about 70 points a game. So they're not an elite level defensive team, but they can score with anybody. And Baylor's an awesome offensive team, but they're also not like, the best defensive team. They're a very, very good defensive team, but there is a weakness there. And I think Arkansas with the head coach, if it's Scott Drew versus Eric Musselman, which is again, one of those big pillars, I like Arkansas, but the Baylor guards are just, they're nasty, man. And and that is absolutely a concern, but I think Arkansas is built to be able to hang and, and it would be an upset. Like that would be one of the best games of the tournament. If Arkansas pulled off that upset, it would be back and forth, come down to the last shot. Uh, but I, I like the Razorbacks. Woo pig suey, baby. I love me some Arkansas. All right, last region here in the Elite Eight. This is the Illinois, the Midwest region. Illinois, I have making it to the Final Four, and I have them knocking off West Virginia to get there. Again, another game that would be awesome to see. Illinois, I would assume Kofi, uh, Kofi Coburn going up against that West Virginia team. Uh, like I said, you have Derek Culver there, who I think would be a really interesting matchup. He doesn't have the physical size. He's he's long and tall, but he's not big enough uh, and heavy enough, I think, to handle Cockburn or Coburn. But their guard play, I think, is actually a little bit better than Illinois. But that being said, I do like Illinois. I think Illinois is just too well-rounded. The fact that they were winning games and got even better when Ayodesuma was out for that two-week stretch is really, really impressive. Uh, but look, man, I'd assume it was Batman. He's got the mask on. He looks awesome doing it. He's really talented. Uh, and and I, I love me some Iodesuma. But I have Illinois beating Oklahoma State to get there, which I think would also be one of my one of the best matchups of the of the year. I think just watching Desumu match up against Cade Cunningham would be awesome. But again, it's a team game still, right? And I really, really like what Brad Underwood has done at Illinois. I think as a, as a coach, he's been incredibly underrated for a while. Uh, but I have the poke. He's knocking off Oregon State. The uh, the Oregon State versus Oklahoma State would be uh, really tough. The the color matchup, oh, yeah, you know, and and the the and syllables OSU. are based. Yeah, it's OSU <laughs> versus OSU. Uh, but I I like Oklahoma State there. I have West Virginia knocking off San Diego State. I could see that game going either way. But I just I really like this West Virginia team. And then, yeah, I have Houston beating the winner of Rutgers and Clemson, whoever that ends up being, not 100%. But I think West Virginia would handle uh, Houston pretty easily there in the Sweet 16. Who do you have? I think the one um, upset I have on this side, I think, uh, is is Tennessee beats Oklahoma State in uh, in that second-round game. Um, for what they lack in, in offense, offensive consistency, they make up for – more than make up for in defense – if they can keep Kay Cunningham from uh, from shooting lights out like he usually does, I think Tennessee moves on to face the one seed Illinois. Illinois has been a number one seed in the tournament a total of three times. Hmm. Okay, the earliest they got knocked out was the Elite Eight, so you can book them there. Illinois is going to the Elite Eight. Um, I think the the West Virginia San Diego State matchup is intriguing. I think their guards are. are are too good, and I think they shoot the ball, uh, shoot the three too well uh, to lose that matchup. West Virginia, Houston, of course. I'm not going with uh, with Rutgers in that matchup. Houston, West Virginia. Uh, I, I'm Houston right now is my ride or die team. 
they can play with absolute. I don't care what conference you think they're from. They're an experienced team. Americans they, good conference. They, yeah, well, yeah, I know that. You just disparaged them earlier, Jeff. Um, but but Quentin Grimes, Quentin Grimes creates shots. Uh, he's he's one of the elite players in the country. Yeah. Um, the team excels on defense. Uh, they create second chance points. They're experienced. They got a couple of seniors on that are in their starting five and coming off the bench. Uh, I like Houston to beat West Virginia there. Then you got Illinois and Houston in the Elite Eight game. Hmm. Phi, Slamma, Jamma. Houston wins with their defense and moves on to the Final Four. You and I feel very differently about Houston. So that'll be fun to see how that plays out, and we will follow it here. Uh, Final Four, Gonzaga versus Alabama for me, and then Arkansas, Illinois. I like the Zags to knock off Alabama. I like Illinois to beat Arkansas leaving me with a Gonzaga, Illinois, very chalky national championship. But I think chalk is going to hold up this year. It's a very weird tournament. All of this is weird. And when it comes down to it, you have to kind of go with who has been the best teams all year. Uh, and, and that is why I, I left it a little in chalky with the Arkansas pick, knocking off Baylor, because I do think Baylor could easily, not easily, but could very much win the national championship. I like Illinois 75-72 to win the national championship, completely contradicting everything I said about a team that wins their conference and then goes <laughs> on to win a national title. But I think Illinois is one of the few teams that can. Give me Ayo Desumu, Brad Underwood, cut the nets, and uh, pop that champagne, baby. Hey, Illinois, the last time they were a one seed, lost in the championship game. This is redemption for them for you, huh? A little bit. All right. I got Gonzaga, Texas on the left side of the back wow. here in the final oh, four. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. And uh, what do you mean? Wow. I, I thought you were, I, I blanked for a second. I thought that you had Texas going to the national championship. <laughs> no, no. In the final four. Uh, it's just Gonzaga's too good. Yeah. Uh, they really are. Um, well coached. Uh, great team. Uh, great guard play. I love guard play when it gets to March. I don't know about you. Corey Kispert. Uh, Drew Tim, uh, Timmy, um, Jalen Suggs, the whole gang. I just top to bottom, that team yeah, is Jaylen good. Jalen Suggs, um, and and the the the, uh, the mark against them every time they get into the tournament is that they never play um, a tough schedule. They that I hate that argument. They've been playing with the big boys for years. Give me Gonzaga to beat Texas. Sorry, Shaka, make a great run again, but uh, not this year. Not in the cards. On the other side, on the right side of the bracket, I've got Baylor and Houston. Fi slam a jamma baby. Um, that's going to be a good game if that ever gets played. I just realized I have three Texas teams in the final four. That's crazy. Um, Baylor and Houston in on the right side. Uh, I just think Houston's too experienced. Um, I love, I love again what Scotty Drew has put together there. Uh, it's been a long time coming, um, but they're just not good enough defensively to stop uh, to stop the the uh, offense of the Houston Cougars. Yeah. I got Gonzaga Houston in the final. Um, and Gonzaga, um, geez, I'm going to go Gonzaga 70, 75 to 67 there. Gonzaga wins the national championship. I would love to see that Gonzaga Baylor matchup in the national title. I think everybody would, cause they were also supposed to play this year and then it got canceled because of COVID. Um, 
I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I think the Zags get, get criminally underrated because of the fact that they play out West. But at this point, I think that's just a tired argument. And I think, Oh yeah, I think this I'm could, to... I, I hope this is the year for them. You know, it'd be really cool to see them go wire to wire, but look, we, we've only ever seen that happen a handful of times. And usually it was coached by a guy named John Wooden. So uh, not really something that we see a whole lot in, in college I, basketball. So I it, will say, I will say though, the last five champions, I think it was the last five. It might be further. I got to go double check the stat, but the la- they've all had 30 wins or better. Yeah, and Gonzaga is the only team left that can get to thirty wins or better. Well, I think uh, part of that also has to do with the out of conference schedule. Like the numbers aren't going to necessarily line up this year with COVID and whatnot. But I, I understand this the sentiment of your argument. The fact that they're able to even get to thirty wins when nobody else in the conference or in the tournament could really even attainably get to that uh, does speak a lot about how good Gonzaga has been this year. Um, all right. So that's our tournament. We have our picks locked in here for the podcast. We're both probably going to fill out other brackets. We have just about two or three minutes left here in the pod. So let's run through our picks, try to win some people some money. For me, I alluded to it earlier, North Carolina is a one and a half point favorite against Wisconsin. I think they win by at least 10. I think it's going to be, you always get an eight, nine seed that people get excited about, like a matchup there that people get excited about that ultimately falls flat. Hammer. North Carolina, minus one and a half. Uh, And then I have two Final Four picks that you can get really good. Obviously, two of my Final Four picks that you can get really good value on. Uh, Plus 390 for Alabama to make the Final Four. I I just think that's that's printing, not printing money, but that's such good value still for a team. And in the region of the bracket, that is by far the weakest. uh, And and really, the only major tough team that they'd have to get by would be Texas, BYU, and then Florida State, like I, I mean, Michigan too. Obviously, could get there. I just think Alabama's a better team than all those schools. Uh, so I would say plus three ninety is a good bet there. And then Arkansas, Final Four, plus seven hundred. And it would be tough. They'd have to knock off Baylor. We talked about that uh, at nauseum. But I, I like the Razorbacks. So I'm uh, sprinkling a little cheddar on that. I'll tell you that right now. That's a great plus seven hundred. Is it's yeah. such good value. And I think they have the weakest number two seed. Uh, well, second weakest because Houston, but Ohio State is I, I don't think is a, is a traditional number two seed type of team, and uh, I think Arkansas can can is a really good matchup to try to knock off the Buckeyes. So, uh, those are my picks. Who do you have, Scotty? Here, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. I like uh, the over here in this game um, between Moorhead State and, um, or I'm sorry, between Houston and Cleveland State. The over is at one thir- over under set at one thirty five. Hmm. Those teams are going to shoot the ball. Uh, a lot. So uh, look for the over there in the first round. That's one of the ones I highlighted. And then uh, to make the Sweet 16, Michigan, a no is plus 225. I'm taking that all day long. And Texas to make the Final Four, obviously in my bracket, uh, Texas plus 400 to make the Final Four. I'm there. I ooh, I really like that Michigan pick. Not to yeah. make the Sweet 16. That's that's pretty good value there. I'm going to sprinkle a little bit that on, uh, on there as well. Scotty, thanks, my man. Appreciate you hopping on here and help me break down the bracket. This was a ton of fun. Uh, no, we oh, got yeah. get into a little bit of the weeds. It's, it's a little monotonous to go through every single game, so we appreciate the people hanging on and listening to us here. Uh, but, look, I just want to say thank you. Enjoy the madness, my friend. It kicks off tonight. Oh, I will. By the time people are listening to this, we will have known who the play-in teams are and how that all worked out. So uh, we are going to enjoy the hell out of that. We'll sprinkle a little bit on the play-in games tonight as well, I'm sure. But uh, also big shout-out and thanks to Kevin Haswell from ESPN again for hopping on and, and talking hoops. That was an awesome, awesome conversation. Got into a little bit of everything and 
give us a little peek behind the curtain as to what it was like producing Sports Center in a COVID-19 world and uh, as well as just getting to all that NBA stuff. It was a great conversation to have with him. So for Scotty, thanks again to my man, Kevin. We appreciate you. And we will be back again. We got one more pod coming out this week. Scotty, you, me, Vito, we're going to hop on. We're going to recap NFL free agency for the through the Ooh. first three days because – I know you and I have been chatting about it throughout. It's been a crazy whirlwind couple of days. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back, and we will talk to you again later on this week on Read Island.